You are now listening to the El Paso Hispanic Chamber of Commerce's podcast known as Sharing Sweat Equity in our studio sponsored by Sun Carpets. Our mission is to keep you informed of what's happening in our local business community. We hope you enjoy and remember, EPHCC, it's your business key. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Sharing Sweat Equity. And are we going to talk about sweat and equity with our partners today? And I am so honored and privileged to have two amazing and dynamic professionals in our community, Ms. Kelly Tomlin, President and CEO of Your El Paso Electric, and Jessica Christensen, Vice President of Sustainability and Energy Solutions. What a delight, ladies, to be at this table with such amazing talent and your women. Of course, I have to say <laughs> So, you know, that's kind of what we do. So our topic today is an educational format, and our educational format is going to be Educate Us, El Paso Electric, Climate Charter Chatter, the New Green Deal, Climate Charter and its effect on business, and all the things that you already have been doing that I'm not sure many of our audiences really know that you've been doing a lot of things prior to all the talking of Green of America and the climate chatter about how to get the company more net zero friendly, as they say. Now, someone told me that I shouldn't be worried about this because I'm not even going to be around by 2045. And I thought, thanks a lot, guys. I'm a long <laughs> linear in my But our life. kids will, and their that's kids right, will. That's exactly what I said, right? Kelly and Jessica are kids. That's what we're and doing. And all these are so, women who work for you. That's exactly right. So share with me what El Paso Electric is currently doing in the climate charter space. Well, I want to take a step back because in 2020, El Paso Electric did just that. We stepped back and we said, what do we want to do? What do we want to be? We came up with a lot of different things, but the primary thing was we really wanted to support our economy and grow it. And we said, how can we do that? And we said, we're going to transform the energy landscape. And that had a big goal behind it, several of them. But it wasn't going to be overnight. No, it wasn't. And no great transitions are. But we said, we're going to continue to maintain the reliability that everyone here expects. We're always the most reliable or the second most reliable utility in our state. We are going to continue to do that. We're going to work real hard to be affordable because our customers tell us that affordability is really, really important to them. And we've been working really hard to take out operating expenses and do other things to make our product more affordable. We know that a certain percentage of our customers are still struggling to pay their bills from COVID and other factors. So we are really passionate about making it affordable. But underlying all of that is making it sustainable because we know what impact that has on public health, on prosperity, and on, and on economic development. So we set a bold goal to be carbon-free by 2035, 80%, then 100% pursuit uh, by 2045. Those are a little different because we have a plan to get to our 80% by 2035, a real concrete plan, as, as a lot of utilities do. But if you hear the goals throughout the country about 100%, Nobody knows how to get there effectively and maintaining reliability and affordability. And Jessica, you know, we always talk about carbon, right? Carbon free. What What is that? Carbon footprint. How do you define that? Well, one thing I said, and I want to turn to Jessica, is because we created her role. Jessica's role was created to make sure we do this. She's our vice president of sustainability and energy solutions. So the role was created to make sure we're getting on this path. And Jessica, why don't you outline really what that plan looks like today? That's going to keep yeah. you up at night. <laughs> it keeps us all up at night, Sid. It sure does, Cindy. And yeah, I mean, we've been on this journey for 
to reducing our carbon footprint for a lot longer. We, as Kelly mentioned, we formalized these goals two years ago. But you know, El Paso Electric was one of the first uh, first utilities in either Texas or New Mexico to be a coal-free utility. And the we, first one. And we made I don't know that how many step. of our listeners recognize that. Tell yeah. our listeners that again one yeah. more time. We we made the commitment and became a coal-free utility in 2016, and I think it was before any of our other utilities in Texas or New Mexico, and that was a big step for us. Um, and and ever since that time, we have been steadily working on that plan. As Kelly mentioned, sustainability to us is 100% about focusing on entire environmental integrity, but it is equally 100% about maintaining that focus through the lens of reliability and affordability for our customers. We are committed to solving all three of those solutions at the same time. And so 2016 was the right time for us to get out of coal, to improve our environmental footprint, to reduce our impact, but it was the time where we were able to make that decision in a really cost-conscious manner. And we brought on um, cleaner burning, uh, yes, definitely some natural gas units at that time, um, because uh, one of the phrases we often use is we want to get rid of the worst first. And so we wanted to get that coal out. We wanted to replace it with more responsive, cleaner burning, natural gas units that had pollution control technology. Um, as we've moved forward, we have continued to develop this plan to integrate more and more renewables on our system. But importantly for us, and this is the other really big piece of carbon-free, is half, almost half the energy that's serving El Paso and Las Cruces in our region today is coming from nuclear power. And you know, every, every energy source has its pros and cons, but nuclear power is a clean, burning, carbon-free energy resource. And in order for us to continue to maintain our reliability, maintain our affordability, we need to keep that nuclear in our portfolio. And that is definitely part of our solution, especially for that 80% of carbon-free energy by 2035. And that's a resource we have today. It's already on our system. We don't need to make additional investments to build it, to bring it on. It has, a, it has useful life left in it. You know, we want to be able to continue to use these resources and these investments that we as a region have already made. So Kelly, tell me, I know we've talked about this from time to time when she mentioned clean renewable energy. It goes beyond just what Jessica just told our sure. audience. I guess we're looking at solar wind. We're, we're looking at everything that impacts our environment and I think that's the key message. Jessica mentioned uh, one, two things we've done. We've really utilized our nuclear, we've shut down our coal, but if you think about what goes into our energy usage, the number one thing we all can do in partnership is make sure we use energy ourselves in the most effective way. We win awards every year for our energy efficiency programs. We have the man response, which means that when we need you to change your usage, you're changing it. So we know that those are the first things you do. You don't go doing the really hard things before you've done the first thing. The first thing is for all of us to get real smart. I don't care if it's about our thermostats, about getting off the time that I'll, you'll hear me talk about a lot, the peak. When we've got everything running, we wanna move people off that peak so we won't have to build more and more power plants. So we also are looking at hydrogen. Our plant that Jessica referenced that we're building today is manufactured to be able to run on hydrogen, so we're excited about that. We are looking at every technology that's out there possible. We don't want to look at one thing, solar, we're, we're building batteries, that's great, but we also want to say, where, where's wind? We know there's wind around us, but we need transmission lines to get to us. So if you love renewables, you got to love transmission. So we look at that as a way to bring cleaner renewables. So 
the biggest thing we're doing too, and I don't know if you've seen this, we're working with both of our states to have our transportation electrification plan. We know as our region, transportation is a big part of our economy. Huge. Huge, and we've all seen the diesel trucks sitting and waiting. There's a lot that can be done, a lot of technology being uh, right now developed, how batteries can go in and out of these big trucks. So you can't look at one piece of technology or one solution to clean up our uh, environment. We have to look at everything, and that's what Jessica and I are really passionate about, that our plan calls for not one solution, all solutions, and a continual investigation of what's the best thing for our region that is a border community, that's a military community, and that really forms a really big part of our national security. And, you know, our our FBI, our Washington's interested in that, so we have to do it in a way that maintains and strengthens our energy security. About geothermal, I hear a lot about that, and I think that's a word that people have to go to the dictionary. I know I did it first to make sure I understood what it was. What can you explain to our audience about that? So, so geothermal is uh, it, it, it's essentially tapping into heat resources, subsurface heat resources, and using that heat energy as as your power source. So, um, and interestingly as a region we are uniquely suited to tap into accessible geothermal now as kelly just mentioned there's no one-size-fits-all technology in geothermal would that make life Right, right. Senator Blanco loves this. Loves to talk about geothermal. But but it's a you know but but it's a it's a new it's a relatively new technology to bring to scale at the utility at the utility size and scope. But at any but, utility, probably. Yeah. Right? Not just El Paso Electric. Yeah. But but El Paso Electric is uniquely suited regionally to explore those options. Now this is something that's really for us very much in its infancy of our exploration. But it's an option that we want to be able to continue to explore. You know, as, as I think I mentioned a few minutes ago, there is no one-size-fits-all solution here. And all of these resources have their advantages, and they all bring their challenges as well. And, you know, I, I really believe that, that the solution here has to be a complement of resources and fuel diversity because we have to be able to operate in every condition, in every hour of every day of every year. Let's remind our listeners, two years ago when the rest of the state was out of power and people lost their lives and lost millions and millions of dollars, the only place or one of the few places that stayed in power was El Paso Electric. Everyone said it was because we were on the ERCOT grid. Now, we couldn't get gas. It doesn't matter what grid you're on if you can't gas get gas to run your your generation asset, right? But we, in somebody's good wisdom, because I wasn't here, I can't take credit for it, designed that plant to run on dual fuel. Now the dual fuel is fuel oil or diesel. Nobody wants to run a plant on that. We never had before, but when you can't get gas and you have to make the decision between loss of life and lots of money, you run it for a few days until we get gas back up. And that's what we're able to do. Our utility stands up because we do have fuel diversity. We have dual fuel capability. We have the ability to use our nuclear today, 50% of you, we're all being served by nuclear. We are building hundreds of megawatts of solar. We are adding batteries. So we are in a much better position because we have fuel diversity and that's why we stayed in power. We saved $19 million in one day because we switched from gas to diesel. So what about water? You have to have water to fuel yeah, so, so certainly these plants that and, and the, the power plant that, that Kelly's referencing that we ran on dual fuel, water is critical. Water is part of the cooling process. If you're running natural gas plants, and we believe that natural gas continues to play a role in our generation portfolio, 
um, for the foreseeable future, definitely as we proceed towards that 80%. Um, we do need water for cooling processes. Now, the power plant that we are building and bringing online here in a few uh, few weeks now, we're getting <laughs> we close. Um, Some light chain challenges. things that keep you up at night. It, yeah, <laughs> but it, that that is a piece of technology that we very carefully selected because it has the ability to run in what's called being dry cooled, which essentially means it doesn't. It doesn't need water. Now, it doesn't mean it needs zero water, but it needs significantly less water than an older technology so that would, really would be a have. Conservation so it's very right? much a diplomatic choice for us because by using that power, by replacing and using that plant for some of our older generation, we'll be saving hundreds of millions of gallons of water a year, which is both obviously mm -hmm. good for us as a region. Right. We know we live in the desert, but also water is an expense. But we need to be able to continue to have access to water to run our operations and but we also keep very much in mind how what we can do to conserve it and we use we use wastewater for some of our processes where we can and we actually recycle some of the water that is ultimately wastewater for us and we use it for irrigation purposes out in the northeast so amazing so, i don't think our i don't but, think our listeners and, know I don't, that. and i don't think our listeners i mean a lot of people don't know that jessica mentioned this power plant that we really needed this type of power plant to be able to bring on new renewables the units that we have, most of them are old, and they don't, they're not very flexible units that we can take up and down. And, and they're hard to find parts for. Them. <laughs> they, yeah. Right, yeah. right. duct tape no. and power plants. No. Uh, our power plants are some of the oldest in the country. They're 60 uh, years old. We want to take those offline, but we have to something to replace it. But if you just think of a light switch in your house, uh, those power plants are on or off, and you can't turn them on, so we just, I mean, off, so you have to keep them on. But new generation allows you to be like a dimmer, sort mm -hmm. of yeah. bring up and down. Sure. And remember, our our system's very unique. We use double in the summer what we use in the winter, and that means we need to build power plants for a peak, right, a big, right. for a few days. And so we have to have generation that can work with our solar, so when the solar goes out, or there's a cloud, that we have flexible generation that's standing behind it. So really facilitates our ability to bring on more and more intermittent resources like solar. So there's a real balance or a dance that I think you do in what you're trying to achieve because we're hearing a lot about net zero emissions. What does that mean and how do you get to that? It's not overnight and there's a lot of dancing partners you probably have to bring to the table to do that. It, it, it is definitely not an overnight transition. Um, and, and I think it's important to take a step back and recognize there's a lot of different words out there. There's carbon free, there's net zero, there's carbon neutral, and it's really important to level set whenever you're having any of these conversations. And so as we talked about earlier, El Paso Electric's goals right now as they stand are about how we generate our power and our commitment is to generate our power carbon free. Because we can't live without it. Our businesses right. can't grow. Right. You can't recruit business. Wait a minute. You can't have a hospital. You can't have a school. You, you can't, can't live anything. Yeah. Work. Our country was built in, in an industrial age, and we became an economic power based on our ability to have cheap, reliable, affordable uh, energy. And that was really a deciding factor in our growth. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, we recognize that getting us to carbon-free generation is one part of that equation. To become a truly net-zero utility, and as Kelly mentioned, our, our carbon comes from other places. I mean, we we drive cars, we all commute to work, those are emission sources too. So, so as we expand our goals and find ways to be even more ambitious as a utility, as a business, 
we will be looking at those upstream and downstream sources of emissions for us. But right now, our focus is 100% on how we generate our power because, at least today, that's the biggest source of emissions for us. But at the same time, we are making commitments to electrify our own fleet internal to El Paso Electric. But again, that's a transition. It's not, we have all these cars that work today, we're not just going to trade them in tomorrow for electric vehicles because it's not prudent, it's not efficient, and you know, it's, it's just not super feasible. So some of the challenges I hear, just based on all of this, is cost and people and talent mm -hmm. and the fact that we are a border community. So are we really ever going to get to the net zero that so many people want us to get to when we share air with a, with a foreign country? And, and we know some of our challenges that in, in regards to that. And so when you're looking at cost and people and, and all of that, can you share? Well, I want to say something that Jessica said, and then we'll get to that, about transitions. And one thing we do know, and these wrinkles on my face have given me 30 plus years in this industry, and what we know is people are trying to transition. We all care about the climate, and that's the reason we have bold goals for it. And we all live here, 1,150 people in El Paso Electric live here. They love their families. We want clean environment, but we know We've watched California. Have we not all watched California oh, do yes. the energy transition? We watch California all the time, and right. they watch us. But, but energy <laughs> transition, the way they did it, trying to go just just renewables all at once, made their energy prices go up about triple. It has a, made their grid unstable. You see, you see it in the news all the time. But more than that, we were able to sell into other states that needed power about seventy million dollars last year. We were able to give that back to our customers. So when Jessica talks about transition, it's really about getting the transition right. And your point about, yes, we could clean up everything over here, but we have a border community that is not going to do that. They can't. There's 375 companies over there manufacturing, doing other business. They have different rules and processes. And their livelihoods depend on those 375 or so companies. So, again, we have to be affordable, reliable, and sustainable. But on this side, we can, we can do everything we can. But we have to recognize that reality. But I don't think that stops us from partnering to say the a real source of, if we wanted to, pollution is from the vehicles that go across the border, and we can work together to solve that. But to your point about talent, what we're excited about today is there's a lot of new technologies that are being developed that will call for new talent. We have 138 engineers working in our company. This was Engineer Week. Happy Engineer Week. Yeah, happy Engineer <laughs> Week. And um, some of those engineers I know are women. Yes, of course. Yeah. Many of them. So. So to your point about we could do what we want to over here, but the border still have the border. I think we've come to understand that, but we, we're trying to say, okay, let that be as it may be. We've got bold goals. We're going to continue to do that. But a lot of times it might be carbon credits. It might be something else. We don't know, and nor does anybody in this industry know how to get to that last 10%. It's really going to be new technologies, new inventions, decarbonizing gas, and what else I don't know. But there's never been more money pouring into this environment to help us figure it out. There's the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, the ILLJA. There's trillions of dollars that are being put behind finding out those answers, and we're going to work real hard with them. Right, but those, but those dollars and those opportunities are, again, to develop the multitude of complementary solutions. New innovations. Know. Yeah, it, to it's do to that. innovate, and it's to, it, it's, you know, we've talked a little bit about hydrogen. We've mm -hmm. talked a little bit about geothermal. Um, we haven't talked about things like carbon capture, um, mm -hmm. and, and in, a, in a particular space like our region, um, where we may not have entire control on the totality of the emissions of our economy, we may have some opportunity to pursue carbon capture and sequestration. And I mean, these are all things that 
are also expensive expensive and future forward technologies but that's but those are the freedoms that we need to be able to continue to pursue funding for continue to pursue opportunities to do pilot projects to see what complement of those solutions is most advantageous for us here in El Paso here in southern New Mexico you know I mean we, we just have a lot of opportunity here we need to be able to pursue all that opportunity all of that. so share with me the climate chatter we have on EV charging stations and going all electric my dad who is 91 years old I had a conversation with him diesel mechanic says it will be a cold day and you know where <laughs> before he ever drives well, an electric car. Well, we, <laughs> both, we both drive electric cars. Well, we both drive electric cars. I told you, my dad, I'm going to find someone who's got an electric car. I can borrow mine. I'm going to let you sit in there and see how quiet they wow. are. Because I took one, an Uber drive in D.C. one day and it was all electric and I didn't even hear anything. It was so quiet. So uh, share with me I, about the I'll mood. start that because I'm an electric. Yeah, I, and I, I did see that there was some a sandwich I'm not going to give commercial for to give the name of it but there is a sandwich shop that we all have frequented across this country that is going to turn yeah, their parking lot into EV ch uh, charging stations where they go get their sandwich so talk a little well, bit about that I'm really passionate about that because I I think we all have to be authentic and do what we can do maybe you don't want to drive an electric car and maybe you want to be a vegetarian for the agriculture all of that impacts the environment so for me, uh, electric cars, uh, I have three, and uh, Jessica and I both have an electric car. Uh, what for us, number one, it, it does help the environment. It takes out carbon in the environment. But last summer, simply, I saved a lot of money. And I have an app that showed every week how much money. One month, I saved $300. What the app does, it takes your cost of electricity that you, you buy, and it subtracts it from what the gas price would have been for that amount of driving that you did, and it tells you what you saved. So I saved a lot of money, and I think that people do have that opportunity. But for us in our region, it's even better, because I told you, unlike other utilities, we have a big peak, meaning the lowest we go and the highest we go is, is more than double. So that means that we have a lot of assets are not being used during the night and other times, right? During the winter, like right now. We have a lot of assets that are not being used. So we can take that power at night when it's just kind of sitting there and charge our cars and use it the next day. So it saves money, it helps the environment, it uses that something our customers have already paid for. And the best part, once you drive an EV, you can't go back. It's the most fun ever to drive a car. I bought my first car, well, I, dropped, I bought a hybrid in 2004, but I bought my first EV in 2017, although in Jamaica I had one that went about 14 miles in 2015. <laughs> but this car now goes 300 miles, and that's what's happened in this span. And my first car that I bought in 2017 went 200 miles, and this one goes 300, so the technology is getting great. But I think even more for our region, it's even more exciting. And Jessica, why don't you tell yeah. what we're doing to put in charging stations? Yeah, well, well, and I will tell you, Cindy, up until about maybe six months ago, you I might have like been my dad, more than that. Right? But she walks everywhere. She walks everywhere. She doesn't need a car. Right, but I drive, you know, I, I, drove, a, I drove and I and I still have it, I'll confess, a 21-year-old car with, with a, a lot of miles on it. keep it. It may be worse right. than it. Right, and, I, and I thought, you know, and I thought, well, I, I'm going to wait to buy a car until I need a car and the time came I needed a car and so I did buy an EV and you know what I will just say it's not near as big of a deal as I thought it was but it's a transition right and it's sure. much like the energy transition people need to make that decision when it's right for them but I think these opportunities that you're referencing and and El Paso Electric recently uh, we we went in front of, of City Council and they gave us an approval for a pilot program for us to um, try to accelerate some charging station infrastructure within the city of El Paso.
to kind of take down some of these myths, take down some of this anxiety, and also to make charging easy for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people, in addition to walking a lot of places, I'm not a homeowner. I don't, so I don't have a place that I can just drive into my garage and, and plug in or install a charger. And so I don't, where I live, I don't have the opportunity to charge at home. But we need to, and there are a lot of people in this town, There's particularly quite a bit. in yes. some of the neighborhoods in the downtown area right. that don't have that. And so, and in our we, rural areas as well. Right, right. And so we are we're trying to work both with the city, with commercial entities, um, with other with other businesses who have the ability to make their parking areas open to the public to provide this charging infrastructure, such that we're making EVs potentially accessible to a broader audience who don't otherwise have the availability to those resources and so it's a space we're really excited in we're doing a lot more in New Mexico um, New Mexico seems to be a little bit more of an early adopter electrification uh, both at the, at the I think it just of, depends on where you're at and yeah. what you've grown up with yeah exactly so my brother is is an advocate for EV mm -hmm. but he's waiting for the Cadillac car to no I've been on a list for Larry for a year and a half and you know who I'm talking to out there for a year and a half. But you know, it's it's easier to get some cars than others. But right. I, I love everyone just to try one because they are a lot of fun to drive and they do help us reach our overall climate goals. So talk to me about the word fossil fuel. The first thing that comes to mind is petroleum and you know, crude oil. But is El Paso Electric classified as a fossil fuel? Well, no, I mean, our company isn't a fossil fuel company, but under a recent proposition that's going on the ballot, they have specifically outlined that El Paso Electric identified us as a fossil fuel company. But that's, uh, no one would call us a fossil fuel company in any other definitional way. Is that how, how would you explain that to Joe Schmo on the street? We're a utility company. That's a different category. We sell a, a service, which is called energy. We generate energy in many different ways. We generate with solar. We're right now, we are putting online 120 more megawatts of solar, 50 megawatts of battery. We generate it through nuclear, we generate it through uh, clean gas and, and older gas, and we distribute it, we transmit it, we distribute it, we come into your homes, we service your home. You and I do a lot of things together, energy efficiency, and that's a full-scale utility. We're an integrated utility company. So as we continue to communicate and educate, because you all are our first series on this climate charter chatter that we're doing, <laughs> explain a little bit about um, solar roofs and solar panels how that would work when somebody's building a home um, and, and some of the components attached to that. I, want, I just want to say one thing for Jessica gets a good component. Energy is a game of scope and scale. The bigger you can build stuff, the more, the cheaper it is. And we're a little utility already. So the best solar, the best anything is scale. And everybody can take advantage of it. Now, and Jessica, I will let you answer the question, but Jessica's <laughs> in charge of building big solar yeah. plants. And I wanted you to yeah, incorporate so, that. So, we, so we'll, we'll start big, right? So, and actually Kelly and I spent a majority of the day today out at one of our newest resources that will be coming online here literally in a few weeks um, that is a, a very large solar installation. It occupies close to 1,000 acres has over 445,000 panels on it. It's 120 megawatts of solar. It's, it's, it, you know, it's it beautiful. A big chunk of change. It's a <laughs> big thing on the landscape. Yeah, yes, we're going to in April. It's we're be really working. exciting right. to we're watch your fruits, planning. your yeah. sweat equity. Yeah, in terms and of those. those it's a year late because of supply chain. It was supposed right. to be here last year. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but 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 these are the large resources and. And as Kelly said, we're a, we're a fully integrated utility. We generate the power, we transmit it from where it's generated to local 
municipalities to wherever we need to use it. We distribute it. We bring it into your homes. Um, we help you in how we consume it. And so what I think is sometimes misunderstood about rooftop solar is unless you are one of the very few people who's going to put solar on your roof and a battery in your garage and literally cut the cord, um, you're still, you're still relying on your utility for the provision of service. And part of you providing that service is the distribution. Part of providing that service is giving you the power at night when those solar panels on your roof are not producing. And there's an investment, that same infrastructure that it takes to transmit and deliver that energy from wherever we're generating it to your house, you're still gonna need that. And so I think it's just really important for individuals who are considering rooftop solar to recognize that you're still impacting the grid because you're still using the grid. And, and the, that's infrastructure that we have to develop for all of our customers. And so they're, they're still, you're still relying on us. And so we're still gonna expect to charge you for a piece of that service. Well, and Jessica just made the point about not being a homeowner, guess what? That if you're not a homeowner, not, not only can you have a charging station, you can't have solar on your rooftop. And what we are really concerned with throughout the country, especially here, is energy justice. We want to make sure as we do our energy transition, the wealthy don't get wealthier and the poor get poorer. And everyone has to pay their fair share of the grid. Already we have a very lucrative rate structure for people who have rooftop solars that other jurisdictions don't have. And we have to make sure that if you're going to use our grid, you have to pay your fair share or the people who can least afford it will pay for it. So I'm going to talk about this a little bit because we're going to have a more intensive conversation on Tuesday. And I invite everyone to come to our temperature check about understanding and getting communicated and educated about the upcoming climate charter that's on the ballot November, uh, May 6th. The climate charter talks about having El Paso Electric be owned by the city. Can you talk about a little bit about that and the impact? Because we're coming from a private sector perspective. Our chamber is about commerce and industry. It's about giving business owners the opportunity to grow and scale and fulfill their dreams. And we know that, that entrepreneurship is the way to go. And the way in which El Paso Electric is structured today is entrepreneurship, because that's what you're doing. So, <laughs> we're kind of an older company. I don't know if anything was. I'd like us to be more entrepreneurial. We're, we're, we're doing new. We're doing hard you are, you, are do, you are changing the yeah. curve. You are detouring where you need to. And so entrepreneurs, you know, that they, you know, they, they live in the world of impossibilities, and they create possibilities. And, that, and, and that's and really we, what you're doing. So we're trying to, you know, the the climate charter has the right intent and the right goals. Uh, I would say just the wrong plan, and the and of course several of the provisions concern us. The one of which is the municipalization. Obviously, we're not just an El Paso utility. We serve the region, New Mexico, and El Paso, and the El Paso region outside of El Paso, right? So that's number one. And breaking that up, remember I said that energy is a game of scope and scale, and you're going to take a little utility, make it smaller. These attempts have been made before. Now I want to distinguish it from. Utilities that grew up as a municipal utility and only serve that municipal. Oh, and they've been that way forever. That's a little different. The one thing I will say about them, they're not ruled by PUCT. A PUCT tells me how much money I make. I'll give you an example. I asked for 10.3%. 10 10 they said, no, you can't make 10.3%. You can only make 9.2%. They tell us what we can charge you. They tell us what we can build. We're highly regulated by a, an entity called the PUCT. The rates in the city are not, are not based like that. So I will say that. The other thing is that El Paso Electric's not for sale. 
and attempts to do this, like in Boulder, Colorado, it took 10 years and millions of dollars that led nowhere. So I just think we're not for sale. We serve more than El Paso. We serve a larger region. And we have found over time that these efforts waste time and money. But the provisions in there, and Jessica can elaborate, that are more concerning for us is something we just talked about, that under this provision, we wouldn't be allowed to charge any charges to people who have rooftop solar in their house and put any restriction on them. That's not fair if they're gonna use the grid. And the other one, of course, is the restriction on water. Um, our plan plans, as Jessica said, run on water. We are trying really hard to minimize the water, but we still need water run power plants. So I'm really concerned if this act passed is how we have enough power to serve our community. And I think that was commitment. a concern we had from a group of businesses that called me regarding this and why we decided we better do the communication pieces next Tuesday. So we had a few restaurants and gas stations in the rural areas that called us because they have a rural program. If they were not able to be able to get water, how would they flush their toilets? How would they be able to do their, their restaurant because they're in the county? And according to this, they would not be able to use. Well, it restricts so, water to any fossil fuel industry, which we've been defined as and anybody who services any fossil fuel industry, which includes a lot of people, a marathon, the gas company. Da, da. I don't know, Jessica, anything to add on the climate charter? Uh, yeah, I, I just think there's there are some broad definitions in here that are that, that are concerning. I mean, I think to Kelly's point, if we're a fossil fuel industry and anyone who provides service to us is a fossil fuel industry, there's a lot of very broad interpretation in there, and the water restriction definitely would, would tie our hands and our ability to provide power in the near term. I mean, as we've talked about today, everything needs to be a transition. But I think the other thing that, that's, that's really the most challenging here, and we've talked about it so much today, is how we're going to achieve these bold goals. And, and, and I think the goals of, of the Climate Charter are great. I mean, they're very consistent so with ours. Yeah. We, you know, we're... We're, we're not necessarily to argue about the goals. It, it's the plan and what's the and roadmap. How to, and how to get and there. are we really being conscientious about our customers and the consumers in our region and the impact that this has on them, um, and also their role to play as part of this solution? And so, so I think it's um, I, I think it's going to be an interesting set of ongoing discussions for the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, I think El Paso Electric, uh, the way we're structured today, is the way that allows us to pursue this multitude of solutions. And I think that's that's really going to be the most advantageous way for us to provide affordable and reliable power. And, and I do want to mention, while we're doing 775 megawatts, that Jessica and her team have those planned uh, over the next few years, we are also doing all the other things we said, uh, rolling out today. You know, we have a uh, we have a cell on on thermostats that where you can help us really manage our energy usage. We're going to double down on our programs to help you save. We're going to give you a smart meter so you'll know how you're, what you're using and how you can save. We're going to try to offer flexible pricing. So if you use late at night when it's cheaper, we can save those, save, share those savings with you. And we are going to really uh, double down on electrification. Jessica and her team worked with schools, for instance, to transform their buses, help them get grants to transform their buses to run on gas, I mean, on electric. So they're saving gas. So you're truly entrepreneurial because you are thinking of other things. <laughs> right. We're hiring new people. <laughs> right. And we're trying to support, you know, the, a, a number of districts in, in our region, in both states, made applications for EPA school bus transitions, and a number of them were very successful. We're going to be taking near delivery in our region of nearly 50 electric school buses. And so, you know, we're honored to be able to support those applications and support the infrastructure to, to facilitate those and look for opportunities to use those batteries and those buses as resources. I mean, it really is. And I think our audiences need to hear that and understand mm -hmm. that the key element of 
Council electorate because you are their friend. And bottom line is the things that you are doing in this community to support the community at all levels, volunteerism, the things that your teams go out and do, the dollar and resources you provide to entities within El Paso. And that all goes under what makes El Paso Electric so unique. Well, I want to say I've worked in a lot of different companies in a lot of different regions. And these 1,150 people that work here are you. I mean, are us. They're members of our community. They love this community. They love their families. And they are some of the most committed Gritful people I've ever seen and when your lights go out, you don't know these guys are and unfortunately They're still guys are out there in they any kind of weather the right. they're, they're out there in any or they weather they got stuck on the top. And <laughs> our union is such a partner with us and they share our vision and they've been working really hard with us To make sure that every day we get better and better as we work to transform the energy landscape So if you take one message away from this is that we love the goals a lot of people have goals but we know when you pursue those goals with a limited plan and in a way that doesn't match, as Jessica said, that the match, the reliability and affordability mandate, people get hurt. And we just don't want people to get hurt. Well, I know we have a few more minutes before we close up, ladies. So I'm going to ask Jessica, what's a pain point for you? You know, I think the pain point is we wish we could do things faster. Mm -hmm. We know we have to do the transition right, but we still wish we could do things faster. Right? We talked about being out at, at this particular location earlier today, and, you know, we had hoped to have that, that resource online. But these are, these are large-scale projects with international components, right. with extraordinary lead times. Yeah, and, and, and so, you know, sometimes you want to operate a little bit more as an entrepreneur, as an, as an innovator, but you also need to operate within the boundary conditions of what it takes to get large-scale development done. So, so I just wish we could, we could execute with a little more expediency um, and, and we are certainly trying to learn how to do that as much as we can every day. Okay, Kelly, you get the last word. What's a pain you know, point for you? And she has a it, list as well. No, it's not really a pain point, but it's my dream, you know, this idea of unity and equality. We all want so things that are so similar. We care about the same things. And what I want and hope and dream is that one day we all sit down and work it out together and that we find a way to pursue this with all the passion that we have and that we do it with a sense of equality, making sure nobody gets left out or left behind, and that every decision we make, that we make it with these three components in mind. We're going to be reliable because our businesses won't grow, people won't come here. The first thing they ask us is our reliability, wanna know how reliable you are. We can't grow our economy if we're not reliable. We cannot grow our economy if we're not affordable. We have to continue to do that. And the third thing we, we are passionate about is every day making it more and more sustainable. So what keeps me up at night is doing those three things with a sense of unity and equality. Well, thank you ladies so much for what you do to keep our lights on. I've told everybody that Kelly's like the ever-ready sweater, but solar-powered. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't know if that's a compliment, or, yeah. but thank you, Cindy. And I want to thank the Hispanic Chamber. Um, since I got here, you're the first organization that I became involved with. You're the first person that gave me the coat off your back, literally, because I didn't understand it gets cold in the desert. I was standing downstairs, standing the, you know, the downtown, I was freezing. 
And you literally gave I me did. The, I gave him a coat, coat I off said, my Put back. this coat on. That's, and, how, that's how we are. And you know, you've always been there to listen and bring our community together and help so many people. We're just honored to be around the table with you today and with the Hispanic so Chamber. This has been a great delight. We're going to have to do it more often. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so for our audience listeners today, we do have an in-person temperature check on the climate charter specifically on Tuesday the 28th. Both these amazing women will be there and you'll get to talk to them in person as we try our best to communicate, educate, and inform so that you make the right choice at the polls on May the 6th regarding the climate charter. So this has been one of our sessions that we've had the most fun for sharing sweat equity and we certainly did that today. Thank you all for listening and we hope to see you Tuesday the 28th. For more information, call our office at 915-566-4066. Thank you so much. EPHCC, your business key. EPHCC, your business key. EPHCC, your business key. Call your El Paso Hispanic Chamber of Commerce today. <laughs>